0: Oh, man, I'm so excited. You know what? Go ahead. Do me a favor. Look at the person beside you and say, just get over it. All right? Just get... Not over what she said. I had nothing to do with that. But just get over it. Right? Those of you this morning, you know, you had an argument on the way to church. It's time to get over it. All right? You are ready to kill the kids as you're trying to get ready for church? Just get over it. Whatever problems you had this week and difficulties you might have had with people... Just get over it, all right? It's not going to change anything. You can't harbor your feelings forever, all right? It doesn't help. So anyway, we're going to get right into here, and we're going to understand that Jonah, in in a particular situation, needs to get over it. And what he needs to get over, truly, is himself, all right? I'm going to give you a little bit of a recap of what we've already talked about for the last three weeks. This is the final message on Jonah, Okay. We will be getting into something else next week as a sermon series, but this is our last message with regard to this one on Jonah. But I'm going to give you a little bit of a recap here of what happened with Jonah. We understand that God called Jonah, who was a prophet of God, all right? He is a uh, a voice of truth, all right? We understand that that uh his his name means dove or peace, okay? The Bible tells us this. We understand that Uh, His father, which was named Amittai, was meaning truth. That's what the definition of his name was. So therefore, we have a prophet who is the son of truth who was all about peace. That's a good thing. That's a great scenario. God's setting something up to be wonderful. However, we have a man here who was going to go against God for a period and for a season of time. And so God comes to him and says, listen, here's what I need you to do. I need you to go to Nineveh. I need you to go there. Um, Just kind of paraphrasing. I'll give you the word when you get there. Jonah, no, not going. Not going to go. You know, God, you call this a great city, but do you understand what these people have done? Do you understand what these people do to people like me? You know, as if God doesn't know everything already you know this is how Jonah is treating God in this moment as if God you need to be informed of the circumstances around what you're asking me to do and so you need to understand that I'm not going to do it because and we can fill in the because for our own life can't we god i'm not going to step out because god i can't do this because and so we, what we like to do is look at the inefficiencies of our life. We like to look at the areas of our life where we are the weakest. And we will over exaggerate them in those moments when we're being challenged by God to do something because we just don't want to. And so this is one of those moments with Jonah where God is giving him a direction to go in. But Jonah says, God, do you not understand what these People have done. This is why I'm not going to go out and do your will. This is why, God, I'm going to have an attitude with you. Do you realize? And we're going to get, this, get to this in a moment. Out of the four chapters in the book of Jonah, and I hope that you guys have, have gone through and, and read, read the four chapters throughout this sermon series, but there's only twice where Jonah prayed. And we've already covered one of them. We're going to get into another here in just a moment. but So here you've got Jonah, and God has given him a calling on his life and told him to go do something, and he says, no, I'm not going to do it. We understand the word says that Jonah, what does he do? He goes, he gets on this boat looking to sail to Tarshish, which is approximately 2,400 miles away from the original plan that God had for him. So he was running as far away as he possibly and humanly could in his power to get away from the will and the direction that God had for him. Now, we can all look at our own lives and probably go, there's been a season or two or a time or two, you know what, where maybe I've done that. Maybe maybe there's been a time where I can relate with Jonah to where I have ran away from the call or tried to run away from the presence of God. Or, you know, let's just face it, trying to run away from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because we don't always like what that might mean we have to do or change in our life. So here you got Jonah. And God says, look, here's what I need you to do. I need you to go to Nineveh. Jonah says, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm getting in on a boat. I'm going to go to Tarshish. I'm getting a complete, as far away as I possibly can from your will, God. So understand that he gets on the boat. And he's running from God or sailing from God, I guess you could say. A big storm comes about, the winds are crashing in, you know, the waves are crashing in, the winds are blowing hard. You know everything. The surrounding situation that he's in is becoming very difficult, very rough. I've said this for the last three, so I might as well go for the fourth week as well. Understand that when you disobey God, you put those around you in great danger. Understand that. Your decisions are not only impacting you, ...but they're also impacting those that you keep yourself closest with day in and day out. So here, this is a great example because this is what's happened with Jonah here in this story. He says, no, I'm not going to go your way, God. I'm going to go my way. He gets on the boat. The storm comes. Everything bad possibly happening in the moment is happening. Jonah speaks up says, guys, look, it's my fault. It is my fault. This is why we're in danger. It's my fault... Throw me overboard and everything is going to be fine. What did they say? No. No, we're not going to do that. And I'm going to throw this one up too again as I have the last three weeks. Isn't it interesting that the non-Christian can have more compassion than the Christian? Think about that for a moment. That the non-believers can have more compassion, show more love, show more empathy than even what the Christ-filled, spirit-filled believer says who they are. Think about that for a second. So anyway, so he goes and he says, look, this is what you throw me overboard. Everything's going to be great. They're like, no, we're not going to do that. Instead, they come up with their own plan. Let's take our livelihood and let's ditch it for this guy. That's what's happened here. They're taking the cargo. They're throwing everything they can overboard, trying to, I I don't know what that's trying to accomplish, but they're trying to do whatever they can to make sure Jonah gets to stay on the boat and everything gets better and, and they're able to get through the storm. And, you know, sometimes what happens in life for us is when we go through our storms, we will do everything we can possibly do to fix it on ourselves before we ever call on who? God. Think about that for me. When we go through the storms in life, many times we will try under our own power to fix our problems ourselves before we actually take it over and give it to God. So here you got these guys showing great compassion to him. Finally, their compassion ran out, and they're like, Jonah, it ain't working. you got to go. Boom. Jonah's overboard. What happens? Everything calms down. Everything's looking good for Jonah now. Or, or no, for the guys. Not for Jonah. Because we understand what happens later. This big fish comes, swallows him up. I'm not going to go into the graphic details as I have before, um, but, you know, swallows him up, and that's the situation that we're in. Now, we understand while he was in the belly of this fish, he was praying to God. Well, hello, I think any of us would be praying to God in that situation. Any of us would be praying to God. You know, this has nothing to do with this story. But for some reason this week I was, uh, I was on, I don't know, it might have been Fox News or, or, or one of these, you know, maybe it was Yahoo. I, I don't know. I was surfing through the Internet, and there was this picture of this big old python snake that swallowed a porcupine. All I could think of was Jonah. You know, that porcupine must have felt like Jonah in that moment. But anyway, (laughs) the porcupine died. So I read the whole deal. Anyway, waste of time, let me tell you. So, and I'm scared of snakes. Fearful. Anybody else fearful of snakes? I love you. We have a bond. So anyway, so here's Jonah. He's in the belly of this fish. He's in there for three days, and he's praying. He's you know, we, we went into Jonah chapter 3 last week. We, we broke down the prayer that Jonah went through. We understand the prayer. We understand the result of the prayer, everything that had happened because of the prayer. Now, what is interesting to me, though, is that we only got a, really a snapshot of what that prayer was. And I think it was just roughly around 10 verses uh, was all the prayer. 10 to 11 verses was all the prayer really was. And that again, if I were in the belly of that fish, I would be praying more than just 10 verses. Okay, so understand that's probably what was happening with Jonah throughout this little, you know, series of time. But he was in the most desperate situation that he could possibly be in, and he was just pouring it all out to God. God, I'm so sorry. God, forgive me. Lord, if you get me out of this mess, I will do what you want. Sound familiar? Yes, right? We all kind of get wrapped up in those messes sometimes where the pressures of life, the problems, the storms, that what we create often, okay, Oftentimes, the majority of the problems and the storms that you go through in life, the only person you can blame is the person you see in the mirror. Think about that. So that's where he's at. And he's praying, and he's praying. And God says, all right, fine. I'm going I'm to get you out of here. And Jonah's probably thinking, well, God's just going to, like, transport me. Boom, boom. You know, there's not going to be a real transition. He's just going to transport me out. I'm going to be on this nice sunny beach, and we're going to move on, and everything's going to be good. No, what does the Bible say? It says he vomits him up. All right, I'm not going to go into the graphic detail because some of you said I had to go to a Chinese restaurant last week and I totally ruined it for him, okay? <laughs> Listen to the podcast, you'll know what I'm talking about. So he vomits him up and he's up on the beach, you know? And, and, and so then, he, you know, God directs him to Nineveh. We understand what happens when he gets there to Nineveh. Now understand, what was Nineveh? Nineveh was a great city, God called it. Why was the? Why did God call Nineveh a great city? Here's why: because it was the epicenter of the world at that time. Approximately 120,000 people were in this city. It had a a a a fortress, a wall, seven and a half miles long, protecting this great city. This was a great city. Now, not great spiritually. But it was a great city like we would look at many of the cities of our world today that are great. You look at Paris, you look at New York City, you look at, you know, Los Angeles, you look at different cities and you would say, wow, those are great cities. They're metropolis, a lot of things happening, a lot of things going on. And that's what was happening in the culture of that time. That's why God said this city is great. Now, the problem is the city was extremely sinful. We understand that when they would go in to conquer other cities, they would go in and they would kill the women, they would rape the women, they would rape the children, they would kill the children, they would kill the men. If they didn't kill the men and they were still alive, what would they do? They would bury them up to their necks in the hot desert sand, stick their tongues out, drive a stake through it, and, either, and wait for them to die. Now, that's, I don't want to go through that. I don't think any of us want to go through that. So in Jonah's mind, he said, God, how in the world can this place be so great? How in the world do, why, Lord, do you want me to go there? Do you not know what they're going to do to me? This is going to be bad. This is bad for Jonah. This is going to be a bad situation. I think we've all probably been there in life. Maybe not to that circumstance, but God has challenged us to do something. And we said, God, do you not understand what people are going to say? Do you not understand how people are going to perceive me? Apparently, Lord, you don't know my reputation. Therefore, I can't pull something like that off. Let me, let me explain something to you. God doesn't care about any of that. God doesn't care what your reputation has been. All he sees is what? His son or his daughter. God doesn't, God doesn't necessarily care about the mistakes that you have made. What does he see? His son and his daughter. God looks in the heart. He sees what he he has created inside of you. He sees those talents, the giftings, the abilities. God is a God who is a compassionate God who loves us dearly. So when we sit there and we downplay ourselves, understand that's not something that God put into your head. God doesn't look at you that way. God says, I have equipped you. God says, I have given you the tools necessary. God says, and and if you don't have them now, I'm going to give you those resources as you step out in my will, in my faith. So here we got Jonah. And he's got to go to the city of Nineveh. And if I were him, being that I, I get the opportunity to speak every week, a couple times a week, several times a week sometimes, and I would be like, God, what in the world do you want me to say to these people? What am I supposed to say to these? If I go there, again, Lord, do you not know what they do to people like me? Do you not know, God, what they do to people like me? They're going to kill me. So I can imagine as he's walking to this city or he's getting to this city, however way he got there, he got there. And he goes to it. No sermon. He had no iPad with notes. He had no written word probably in in his hand. Because he just came out of the belly of a fish. He's walking up. And he says this, you got 40 days before the destruction. That's it. I can imagine as he's saying those words, silence kind of rings over them. Silence, you know, deafening to the ears. Have you ever been in a moment where silence was so deafening? I bet he's sitting there with the biggest lump in his stomach, going, Oh my Lord, what am I, what are they gonna to do to me? Silence. And then all of a sudden, it says that the people turned. They began to fast. They begin to pray. They begin to seek after God. They began to put on the sackcloth. One sentence that we understand that was said, and the people's lives were changed forever. Why? Because he went back and he did the will of God. Understand this. Now, he was still disobedient because delayed obedience is what? Disobedience. Understand that. Delayed obedience is still disobedience. He didn't do it in God's timing, but rather God gave him what? A second chance. Another opportunity. I am thankful that God gives us a second chance and another opportunity in life. Aren't you? I am thankful that I serve a God who can look at my sin and my, my corruptness and can look at the filth that I have created in my own life, and when I come to him in prayer and I say, "Lord, forgive me, what does He do? He washes me white as snow, He cleanses me through the blood saving power of Jesus Christ. So we have a moment here for Jonah. he steps back into the lord 's will and he says this prayer or excuse me, he says this message and The people turned their hearts and they realized that they need to serve God. If you remember last week, I said, you know, I believe that God was setting this up for a period of time. I believe that. I believe that there was an inkling in their heart, in their mind, that what they were doing was wrong. They were waiting for someone to just step up and challenge them. I've heard people say before, you know, I've just been waiting for somebody to challenge me or ask me the question. I've just been waiting for someone to present it to me. Then I knew that God was real and that God's power could really save me. I wonder how many times maybe we have felt compassion or a driving in our life to share the message and the gospel of Jesus Christ with someone, but yet we were scared to do it or yet we felt inadequate to do it. And maybe that individual, all they needed to hear was your words expressing who he truly is. So God gives Jonah a second chance. and So Jonah steps forward and he accomplishes the will of the Lord. And the, the word gets back to the king. And you would think the word gets back to the king. Okay, this is going to be bad news for Jonah. No, the word says that he comes off of the, 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 the throne that he was on and he strips his clothing down. He puts the sackcloth down. And he proclaims a fast throughout the entire kingdom. Not only for the men and women and boys and, and girls and, and the children and all, but also for the animals who even fast. And truly, and they will serve the true one and true God. To me, what a victory for Jonah! Right, that had to be exhilarating. That had to be phenomenal for him. I mean, it had to be humble and humility had to go in there. If I were Jonah and I were in that situation, I don't know how I would have reacted. I probably would have fell to my face, Lord, because one hundred twenty thousand people came to know who Jesus Christ came to know who God. How powerful is that? I mean, think about it. If, if, you know, somebody in today's day and age, Jonah would have been all over the internet. He'd have his own show on TBN or, or Daystar, or, you know, he, or, or Oprah's network now, right? Or, or he would, you know, be all over, you know, Time Magazine or, or all over these places. Let's, let's look in the Jonah chapter four, verse one. Let's see what happens with him. He says, but to Jonah... This seemed wrong and he became angry. Stop there for a second. This man just accomplished something powerful and something wonderful. And all of this unfolded right before his eyes. From his disobedience to God's grace to his obedience to God's mercy. And then we see this garbage Right here where he says he was angry. Do you want to know why he was? Let's go to verse 2. Hold on. I don't want to jump over. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are what? Gracious and compassionate. He's saying, I knew that you're a God who was what? Slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Jonah is upset. Jonah is furious. Jonah is angry that God is gracious. Jonah is angry that God is compassion. Jonah is angry that God is love. Jonah is angry that God saves. Jonah is angry that God transformed 120,000 men and women. Why? Because of their past. It doesn't make sense to me. Neither should it make sense to you. Jonah, do you not know what you just accomplished here? Jonah, do you not understand the power of God that was demonstrated here? You don't have a right, Jonah, to become angry. You don't have a right, Jonah, to lose compassion. You don't have a right, Jonah, to be resentful to these people. I find it interesting here because I look at my life and I look at our lives as I'm looking out through here. And and I see men and women as far as myself as well. But when good things happen to people, oftentimes what happens to us, we become angered. Or we become jealous. Or we will allow resentment to creep in. God, how could you do that for their life? Do you not know, Lord, how they have lived? God, how could you save them? How could you have compassion on them, Lord? You see them walk to the altar. Yeah, I know what they're doing. They're going to walk down to the altar, but then they're going to leave and go right back to the same way they were. This is nothing but a joke. This is Jonah's attitude in this moment. It's the same attitude that you and I oftentimes demonstrate. Maybe not outwardly, but inwardly. You think to yourself, how can this be? Lord, do you not know what they have done? This is Jonah in this moment. He is mad. He is angry. Not with the people, but with who? God. Let's go to verse 3. It says, now, Lord, take my life. For it is better for me to die than to live. That's desperation. Jonah's in this moment. He says, Lord, you know what? Just just kill me. I'm done. Whatever. Sick of it. Done with it. Throws his hands up. This is despicable. (laughs) I'm done. I'm frustrated. All right? God, how could you let this happen? How could you show grace and mercy and compassion? How could you be a forgiving God in this moment? I just don't understand. Lord, how could you go through all of that? How, Lord, could you do that? He prays to God. This is the second prayer. The first prayer was forgiveness. The second prayer was, God, just take my life. Verse 3, now, O Lord, take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Let's go to verse 4. It says, but the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Well, first of all, I'm pretty impressed that Jonah just prays a prayer and then, bam, God replied. That's pretty cool. But, he said, but God says, is it right for you to be angry? So we need to look at that question that God is directing to Jonah And we need to apply that to our own life and go, is it right for me to harbor these feelings that I may be harboring against of these other people? Is it right for me to be jealous? Is it right for me to show resentment? Is it right for me to be angered at God because he's so compassionate? You know, as I was reading this and I was reflecting for a moment. As in the first half of the story, I could understand a little bit of Jonah's problem here. And that he didn't want to go to Nineveh. And then as I was reading and studying this portion of it, I get why Jonah's a little upset. I mean, God, do you not know what these people did? Did you not see how many lives did they take? But yet you're forgiving them? You're showing compassion? You're showing love and you know as we think about that we all should and I'm pretty sure that the thought rolls to your mind well you know what he did that for me I've hurt people in my life and you know what God has done he has shown that compassion and that forgiving spirit and that love I have said things that I should not have said and you know what God has done he is showing love and commitment to me in a relationship. And he has shown compassion. So we need to look at our lives and go, you know what? I, we have to question ourselves. Has God shown this love and compassion that he's shown to these people in your life for you? Yes, I believe he has. So for us, when we say, but the Lord replies, is it right for you to be angry? The answer should automatically be what? No. Let's go to verse 5. So Jonah had gone out. Here's a pity party. Understand this. Jonah didn't reply. He just says, the Bible says, Jonah gone out. And he sat down at at a place east of the city. So Jonah, he did what he did. God did what he did. Everything was great. Jonah prayed a prayer of just disgust to God. How in the world could you do that? I'm angry with you. And God responds back, well, you know what? Do you have a right to be angry? And psh, and he walks out of the city. Psh, have you ever been in an argument with maybe your spouse or with somebody, and you just got you didn't like what they said because they topped you? Right? Like, psh, I gotta get out of here for I'm gonna say something. <laughs> right? This is Jonah's attitude. Psh, just throw, whatever. It says he goes out, sat down at a place east of the city. He's having a pity party. He's crybabying right now. All right. There he made himself a shelter, and he sat in the shade, and he waited to see what would happen to the city. So I I just picture, man, he just pulled up his little cabana, boom, put his umbrella in the sand, got his his beach chair out, sat down. The only thing he's missing was his uh, nice cold bottled water. Let that sink in for a moment, people. So he's sitting there, and he's like, all right. I'm just going to wait and see what truly happens. Goes on to say, verse 6. Then the Lord God provided. God provides, doesn't he? I think there's a little sarcasm here on how God provided personally. But God provides. So then the Lord God provided a leafy plant. And made it grow up over Jonah to give shade. Now look, if I'm sitting there. And all of a sudden this thing sprouts up from the ground. And just grows out of nowhere. I'm like, wow. You've got my attention. Apparently I don't need to be angry. It says, then the Lord God provided a leafy plant. And he made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade for his head. To ease his discomfort. That's a compassionate God again, isn't it? We're going to get into something in a minute. That's a compassionate God right here. You know what? You're Okay, you're crying about it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you through this. You know, I'm going to hold your hand through this. Okay. And he made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. Hello, I think we all would be. All right. You're in a desert, especially me. I'm fair skinned. I look, you turn a light on, I get sunburned. You know what I mean? This is how it is. You know, so this is the situation God provides in this moment for Jonah. Even when Jonah's upset, God is still working in his benefit. Understand. uh, There's two words, God provided. Now, this is going to get deep here in a minute. You want to highlight, you want to circle, you want want that to be embedded in your mind for a moment. It says that God provided. Now, let's go to verse 7. But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm. I want to know how big this worm was. Was it like that python that ate that porcupine? That's what I want to know. But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. First of all, I wouldn't hang out long enough to watch this worm chew this plant. If it's big enough to give me shade, it's big enough to eat me. All right? So, but at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. Let's hit verse 8. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. In other words, he passes out. It says that he wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. Isn't that the second time he said this? The second time he has said this again. Let's go to verse 9. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. And I'm so angry... I wish I were dead. That's the third time for Jonah. Jonah just doesn't get it. Jonah's not seeing the big picture here. What are the two words I said we need to have embedded in our minds right now? God provided. What you need to understand is this. When we go through the trials, the problems, the situations, the struggles in life that we go through, because of our disobedience, God provides in different stages of life different things to happen. To do what? Get our attention. We understand that God, when he was disobedient, Jonah speaking, when he was disobedient to God and he didn't go in the direction that God called him to go in, what did he send? He sent a big storm. He sent a huge storm. To do what? To get his attention. When he was in that storm, what did he not do? He did not pray. Instead, he left it up for others to try to fix the storm that he was in. So when they attempted to fix the storm, they threw him overboard. There was still not a prayer according to scripture that came from Jonah's mouth. Instead, what did God do? He provided a fish to do what? Get his attention. What you need to understand is for many of you in this room today and really for all of us in this room today, whether you're going through a season of disobedience with God or you're going through a stormy season or rather you're going through a time when everything is working out just fine, you need to understand that God provides the good seasons. He provides the seasons where everything is working well for us. But he also provides the seasons where he's trying to get our attention because we become what? angry because we become disobedient because we're not fulfilling his plan and his purpose and his will so here we've got jonah who god provided in the belly of a fish in order to do what get his attention and when he got his attention what did he do he prayed and then god found a way to get him out of the current situation now he probably didn't like the way that god got him out of the situation. But ultimately, at the end, what happened? God got him out of that situation, did he not? Yes. See, oftentimes we don't like how God gets us out of things. We don't like the process that maybe we have to go through. But we always learn through the process that we go through. When you look back on it, you can look back and go, you know what? I am thankful for those storms because I have grown so much because of them." I'm thankful for those difficulties because I grew. So if it wasn't for the difficulties and the storms and the problems of life, we would not grow. You would not learn. You would be like a spoiled toddler, always whining and crying every time you didn't get your way. And you would expect everything to fall into place all the time. Well, we all know that does not happen all the time, now does it? We go through difficulties and trials and struggles. So Jonah did. God provide different stages throughout this entire story of how God provided to get his attention. You know, I I can't help but think that, you know, the story for Jonah probably could have ended in Jonah chapter 3. But Jonah had an attitude issue, did he not? When God did something great and fulfilled the purpose of what Jonah was supposed to do, Instead of Jonah praising God and saying thank you and praising with the people and everything being done, Jonah chapter 3 done, you wouldn't have to hear Pastor Kevin on a Jonah chapter 4. And that would be good too. All right. But no. He allowed an attitude to creep in. He allowed the attitude to creep in. He allowed the negative thoughts. He allowed the resentment and the jealousy. God, how could you do this to these people? Don't you know what they've done to your people? Do you not know how they treated them? And God looks at them just as he looks at us, but they're my sons and they're my daughters. And I have great compassion. I have great love for them. That's deep. That is huge. Because, you know, I look at my life and, and, and I see the compassion that God has given me. The forgiveness, the second chance opportunities, or the third, or the fifth, or the... 20th chance opportunities. I see the love that that God has demonstrated in my life where he never gave up on me. Even when I was in the most darkest times of my life and I was throwing my hands up, kind of like Jonah was, and he went and sat down east of the city and put up a chair and propped his feet up with a little umbrella, had a pity party. I can reflect on times in my life where I've been like that. But yet still, God, what? Has love and compassion. And he has so much forgiveness for my life. And he has shown it to me so many times. I I read this story and, and, and I could, you know, I didn't go through those problems, but it's still a mirror reflection of my own life. And in fact, I truly believe it's a mirror reflection of all of our lives. Of the disobedience and the resentment and they're going against the purpose and the plan that maybe God has for you. But yet God still, what? Provides. I love it because he said, but God said, is it right for you to be angry about the plan? It is, he said. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Verse 10. But the Lord said, you'd be concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. You know? Sometimes we can continually go to God and and ignore His voice and ignore the direction that He's placing us in. And our attitude should be fearful to the point of, because if we're not nurturing what God has given us to provide for us, if we're not nurturing the calling and the giftings and the talent, the ability, the very same thing could happen if we're not taking care of it. The thing that God wants you to do, he could find someone else to do it. And you could miss out on a tremendous blessing in your life. You know, the Bible tells us that if we don't cry out in our praise, what will? The rocks will cry out. God will find someone to fulfill his purpose and his plan. But my my goal here this morning is that you do not continually ignore what God is calling you to do. You know, I think it's great that these people came to, to God. I I do. You know, I've I've heard people say if if they, you know, if you have one of those Hollywood type trials and or this horrific crime and someone did something so devastating to a group of people, and, and then you know, you hear later on, years down the road, why they were, you know, incarcerated or or whatever, they turn to God, and then people are like, I can't believe that. That's that just makes me sick. That's disgusting. We're playing that role of Jonah. Last time I looked, everyone still has a heart, a soul. Last time I looked, we're all still children of the most high God who created us. Who are we to say who God can and cannot forgive? Who are we to judge and place our judgment on who God can and cannot have love or compassion for? That is not up to us. You need to leave that up to God and allow God to work that out. You need to be concerned about you. So where are you this morning with God? Where is that relationship? I love that story because these people who were so far away from God in that moment become closer to God. A relationship was built. You know what that proves to me? It doesn't matter what you've done in your life. It doesn't matter if if, if you're divorced five, six, seven, ten times, or two, or one. It doesn't matter if you, you've, you've slandered against someone or, or been resentful toward people. It doesn't matter that, that, that maybe you've lied and you spoke lies on others and maybe cursings have come from your mouth. It doesn't matter that you've taken things in that you're not supposed to take into your body. It doesn't matter that you've put yourself in pernicious situations. What I mean is it doesn't matter because God still loves you and he will forgive you only if you go to him and ask for forgiveness. In other words, his forgiveness has no limit. It has no limit. This morning, and, and I don't know why I'm going to say this. This morning I was listening to a preacher And he said, you know, it doesn't matter if you've committed an abortion, God will still forgive you. And I believe that. I believe that God forgives. The worst of sin, God forgives. And the least of sin, God forgives. I say that this morning to say this. You have hope in your life. God has not given up on you. God has got clear direction. He's got a purpose. He's got a plan. And all he's saying is this, just come to me. Come as you are. Here I am. Here I am. My son, Jesus, gave his life for you.